everyone. My name is Micaela, and this is the local sex shop. Today, I am very, very, very excited about this episode. Uh, first of all, because it's an extremely interesting topic, and secondly, because my guest for today is actually one of my dearest friends, and I'm very, very glad to have them here. Rowan, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Rowan. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I am kind of a anachronistic patchwork of identities coming together. Um, some of the important ones for me are I'm neurodivergent, I'm disabled, I'm queer in almost every way imaginable. Um, and I'm a proud, kinky degenerate. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that last one is why we're here. Yep. <laughs> This is what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be giving a very nice introduction of the world of kink and BDSM. You're gonna enlighten us today. <laughs> I will do my best. So let's start with the very, very basics. What is BDSM? So BDSM is an acronym. Uh, it stands for Bondage and Discipline, Domination, Submission and Sadomasochism. Um, I would describe it as both a sexual and sexual adjacent collection of practices, as well as a community and a subculture. So is sexual? It can be, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think there's a lot of practices within the BDSM umbrella, some of which uh, lend themselves more towards um, sexual engagement. Uh, others are um, less inherently sexual. You know, you can practice BDSM in combination with having sex, uh, but you can also practice BDSM platonically. Yeah, it, it, a lot of people, uh, you know, different people are drawn to BDSM for different reasons. I think, though, mentioning the platonic part is very interesting because I think it's very... Like, usually when you think about BDSM and you think... Personally, I think about portrayals of BDSM in movies and it's uh, it comes with the sexual part. Like, it, it involves, like, some fetish wear, like, some leather or some latex and some whips and, like, underwear and people having sex mm -hmm. <laughs> in the end like that's the ultimate goal yeah so can it be done without the ultimate goal being sexual acts so no it doesn't always have to be sexual um i think even the things you just mentioned um you know i think a lot of these things are commonly associated with sex and are often betrayed in both um kind of popular media and porn as going hand in hand with sex. However, um, there is nothing inherently sexual about latex, about rubber, about leather, um, nor is there anything inherently sexual about uh, impact play such as whips uh, or a lot of different uh, kinks and uh, BDSM practices. Uh, there are some uh, BDSM practices that are a little bit more difficult to make non-sexual. Uh, an example for that might be edging, which is the practice of bringing yourself or a partner uh, close to the edge of orgasm and then backing off and repeating that practice. 
that's something I, I find a little bit more difficult to imagine how you would do that in a non-sexual manner. Um, but yeah, the variety of uh, practices within BDSM do not necessarily have to be sexual. Okay, so it doesn't have to be sexual all the time. But also another thing that comes up with it uh, and the expectations, I guess we have of BDSM, I think. And you also said like the acronym has like bondage and dominance and sadism and masochism in it. So does that mean that if you practice BDSM, you're going to do something that has to do with like physical, uh, maybe violence in it? I would personally um, say that. So the important things about about BDSM when practiced, um, in my opinion, correctly, it is all about consent. It is all about being informed and um, about making, um, you know, informed decisions about your own and each other's safety. Um Within that cater, there there are some different philosophies in in that on how to approach that that we can maybe talk a little bit about. But within that, I would personally argue that if you are practicing BDSM consensually and safely, then even though some of the things that you might be doing may on the surface look like violence, such as like choking or hitting someone, by nature of it being consensual and and something that you have both agreed on and are both getting enjoyment out of, uh, I would argue that that is not in any way violent. Uh, like that reminds me of a question that someone asked once. I think I told you like um, it was very philosophical. Like, um, is it basically the action or the result? Kind of like you are still hitting someone. So that would be considered like you're being violent towards them. And I understand that that can be very sensitive for a lot of people, especially if they have some trauma related to that. But you mentioned that it has to be agreed upon. Yeah. So you talk about it beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A very big part of uh, BDSM is negotiation. So that's kind of the conversation you're having beforehand to, yeah, sort of set out your limitations, um, your agreed upon approach to safety and consent. Um, A lot of people within the BDSM community uh, use something called a safe word, uh, which is a kind of a code word that you can use to to um, stop the scene if something is going on. Um, yeah, like a negotiation involves a lot of like checking, going back and forth and seeing what you each want to get out of a scene um, and uh, what your limits are. So there has to be a lot of communication. Yeah. So you better be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I think in my experience, you know, experienced BDSM practitioners are very good at that kind of communication. Um, Of course, you know, these things come with practice. I would always, you know, recommend that people slowly get into things and not necessarily jump into the most extreme parts of um, their interest right away. And that also, like... Different aspects of BDSM carry different levels of risk uh, and therefore require different levels of uh, communication skills in in advance. Okay, so the kind of higher the level of difficulty, let's say, (laughs) the better, like, 
the more well equipped you have to be to talk about it and you have to be open to talk about it yeah i mean uh, being open to talk about it i i think is is very much a prerequisite of of good bdsm yeah but also that would mean that you have to be in a position where you talk about your fantasies Mm-hmm. to another person yeah that can be very vulnerable extremely vulnerable like yeah. i think that that's not something that we deal with every day no i i don't think that's something we are taught in any any way um not when it comes to sex but but not really in our day-to-day lives either like i, I don't think a lot of us are taught any language around communicating your wants needs and boundaries really i think we all are kind of left to our own devices in figuring that out yeah so is there a better approach to go about it like is it something that can is there a tool that you can use to communicate or like to go through negotiation with people in that context um yeah i I think uh i know there are some uh online resources although uh, off the top of my head i'm not sure where to find them Um, that, um, you know, consist of kind of checklists or questionnaires that you can uh, run through with um, a potential play partner. And uh, there's a few common uh, safety and consent modalities within the BDSM community. I think there is um, Safe Sane Consensual, uh, which is kind of the original. Um, Then later on came Risk-Aware Consensual Kink, uh, and then even later became personal responsibility informed consensual kink, prick. <laughs> um, and uh, these are kind of variations on the theme of, you know, make sure that everyone knows what they're getting themselves into, that um, everyone is consenting, that everyone is in a position to consent so that there aren't, uh, outside of the uh, scene, there aren't any, you know, coercive circumstances going on. You know, no one is drunk, for instance, um, you know. Can you maybe explain to me, like, one by one what those modalities, like, include and not include? Because I understand if there are different versions of them, yeah. that maybe they don't um, say the exact same thing. So, safe, sane and consensual kind of refers to the idea that one should always strive to, you know, practice BDSM safely, that you should be informed and that you should use kind of your critical thinking skills to engage within BDSM. Um, and that BDSM should be consensual, uh, as, as you know, as, as consent is also understood within uh, sexual in- interaction. And then kind of uh, risk-aware consensual kink um, grew out of that, out of sort of a criticism of the idea of like, well, you know, a kink isn't always necessarily 100% safe, you know, the same way that we can talk about, you know, safer sex rather than safe sex, you know, the idea that sex does carry inherently some amount of risk with it. And uh, that that doesn't mean that that we shouldn't be engaging with it, but that we should, you know, be aware of those risks and, and, you know, take precautions and engage accordingly. And similarly within BDSM, I think this philosophy kind of says like, well, you know, if people know what they're doing and, and they're consenting, then we shouldn't necessarily be saying that there shouldn't 
be allowed to do things that are maybe a little bit more dangerous, but it is important that everyone knows that you know what they're getting into, uh, what all the what the risks are, and that everyone has a free and uh, open opportunity for them to decide whether or not they're willing to engage with those risks. And then, of course, like consensual is is um, emphasized in in all of these. And then the further evolution, uh, the prick, personal responsibility, informed consensual kink, is kind of a even further step from that, um, saying that. Everyone engaging in kink should take personal responsibility for making sure that they are maximally informed about the kinks that they're about to engage in um, and that they carry their the responsibility for themselves in case if, if anything goes wrong. I personally fall a little bit in between risk-aware consensual kink and personal responsibility because I I agree that... It is important that everyone engaging with kink takes the responsibility seriously to in- inform themselves and uh, to ca- engage in a way that is safe for themselves and everyone around them. However, I personally don't love the idea, the terminology of personal responsibility. Uh, this is maybe a little bit of a hangover of like the way this is used in co- sort of conservative politics. But I think there there has to be some acknowledgement and some room for people to engage with King that they maybe haven't done before or, you know, with a more experienced partner. And um, I, I think I don't want to leave too much room over for someone to maybe mislead someone or, um, you know, as a, as a more experienced practitioner of BDSM to put put the responsibility on on someone who's less experienced to be like well you know this this thing went wrong and they got hurt but it's their own fault because they should have been personally responsible for their own safety i think you know if you're the more experienced partner then you do inherently have a little bit more responsibility to make sure that the less experienced partner is is safe and uh, is taken care of yeah i think i do agree with you because also Someone who is less experienced, I think, also has had less chances to practice, you know, those conversations and practice setting setting boundaries or communicating them. But I wanted to go back a bit and I wanted to maybe clarify a bit of terminology because like we talk about the importance of communication, but like communication is down. So (laughs) what what are we doing? First, I have the question that I think um, a lot of people might be conflating in their minds, I guess. Like, is BDSM different than the word king? And is fetish the same thing or is it something different? Because I think all of those words are used interchangeably. And if you're going to say... I'm a person who practices BDSM. The shortest way to say that is just say I'm kinky, basically. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, is there a difference? Is there a nuance there? Um, I mean, there's always nuance. Um, I, I agree with you that like these terms tend to be used interchangeably also within the BDSM community sometimes. Um, and, you know, to some extent, it depends on your own personal philosophy. And, you know, if, if you personally think they, they mean the same thing for you, 
then you know that that's what it means for you. Um, in my view, though, I do think of kink, BDSM, and fetishes as being separate, and as being kind of a um, inverse pyramid uh, of broadness. Um, so kink, uh, I consider to be the most broad term, um, basically just referring to any sex adjacent acts, because again, we have talked about BDSM not necessarily always being sexual, uh, but they do kind of inhabit a similar space in our culture and in the way we engage with them. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of a sex adjacent act, interest, desire that is somewhat out of the norm, somewhat unusual, uh, maybe a little bit more intense or yeah, fixated on a specific aspect uh, than uh, most quote unquote normal people uh, might consider um, part of regular sex or uh, yeah. Um, then within that, I think slightly more concrete is, is BDSM. Um, and, um, yeah, we already kind of talked about what BDSM stands for, but again, like bondage, discipline, sadism, masochism, uh, domination, submission, um, especially that part is, is big. Like a lot of, uh, BDSM involves some form of power exchange, um, you know, one person being more of the submissive person, uh, the other being a little bit more of the dominant. And there's, uh, you know, a wide spectrum of intensity in both directions. And then fetishes, um, I usually describe as sexual desires or kind of fixations that are, again, a little bit more intense um and are generally um considered to be necessary to be present in some way for uh the fetishist to be able to yeah have ever satisfying experience um so you know commonly for instance like a foot fetish um someone who has a foot fetish might be thinking about feet looking at feet smelling feet or or anything like that uh, in order for them to have a good time um yeah but then the like fetish refers to an object not a practice yeah i think i mean there's practices surrounding these objects right like for instance again to go back to a foot fetish worshiping uh, feet yeah <laughs> worshiping feet it, it, you would call a practice but you know the fixation is on yeah on an object okay and since you mentioned submissives and dominance mm -hmm. <laughs> and all those nice words, is the dominant person also the top in a in a play scene? Um, potentially, uh, they can be. Um, however, tops, bottoms, and uh, doms and subs are separate categories, uh, kind of like. Uh, a dom and sub uh, refers more to like the the power exchange that i just talked about and which side of that power exchange they are so submissives give up some amount of power within the scene uh and dominance you know take that that power over their submissives uh, whereas top and bottom refers more within the actual like roles within the scene so a top is the person that is the giving partner in a scene so for instance 
um, when practicing impact play, the top would be the one doing the hitting with like paddles or floggers or even their, you know, their hands. I have uh, a question though. Yeah. Because you said it's the person who does the thing. Yeah. So going back to, I guess it's going to be our favorite example for mm-hmm. today, like sure. the food fetish. <laughs> um, if someone is doing uh, like food worship, mm-hmm. they are the one doing it. So w- would that make them a top? Oh, that, that is an interesting, I would say that's kind of an edge case scenario. I think, you know, in a lot of cases with food worshipping, um, like the person who's getting worshipped is is usually taking a little bit of an active role in that, like maybe pushing their feet into someone's face or like, you know, dirty talk, talking to the, to the person that's worshipping their feet. Um, and that can mean that they can take up a little bit more of the active role in that way. Um, but it is true that like you can be both the submissive partner in, in a scene and the top, uh, you can be kind of like, you know, service topping, for instance, you can be taking the kind of active role in giving pleasure to your partner but doing it out of a submissive place and a place of, you know, wanting to please your partner who is your dominant in in that situation. Okay, so you're a top and a sub at the same time. Is there a difference between submissive and slave? Um, Yeah, so power exchange kind of exists on a, a spectrum. And I, I, I think of it as being kind of like no power exchange, uh, but still engaging with BDSM. That would be like just only tops and bottoms, basically. Uh, right. So um, a top and a bottom might engage in like tie, like rope play and a bottom might get tied up. But there's no like power exchange. There's no um, dom sub dom sub dynamic yeah. in, the, in that. Um, and then f- the further you go in the um, kind of spectrum of power exchange, uh, the more specific the term gets. Um, and then, yeah, so the dumb sub is kind of the, the general term. And then kind of on the kind of other end of the spectrum is kind of the slave master uh, dynamic. Um, and a slave is usually someone who is the submissive partner in a what is called a, to- a total power exchange relationship, um, they might consider themselves to be "quote unquote" owned by their master. You know, when you say total power exchange, give me some examples. <laughs> what would that mean in practice? Yeah, um, that's a little bit tricky for me. Um, I think. The thing about these things is that all of these experiences are extremely subjective. Um, and um, I myself haven't really engaged or ha- haven't also been very particularly interested in engaging with that end of the spectrum of, of power exchange. Um, but I would maybe... So I, I should also clarify that there is also a difference between some people practice 
um, these things only within a scene. So, you know, basically they um, come together as equals, they discuss what they're going to do, and then once they start doing that, that's when the power exchange happens, and then, you know, once they're they're satisfied, the scene is over, they go back to being kind of equals. Uh, but then others engage in uh, a more 24-7 dynamic where, you know, of course, they, they still do come together as equals. They discuss their boundaries, everything like that. But then from then o- onward, it's kind of an ongoing daily dynamic between these two people um, where one of them gives off some level of control to the other. Um, in a total power exchange relationship, uh, this might extend to the dominant deciding what the submissive wears, what the submissive eats, what they're you know allowed to spend money on, uh, when they have sex, what kind of sex they have, if they, if they have sex, if they get to orgasm during sex, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so like actually like kind of controlling your life. Yeah. Um, and of course, again, I should stress that this is all within kind of previously agreed upon boundaries. Um, and, you know, there's never a situation where the submissive actually gives off all control. They they get to, you know, move away from, from this dynamic at any point if they feel that they need to. Okay. Um, I also want to clarify that the term slave can be somewhat contentious. Obviously, we live in a in a real world where uh, terms like slave um, have a real world connotation. Um, so yeah, not everyone necessarily is comfortable with that term, um, and they might choose to use a different term, but that refers to more or less the same dynamic. Okay. Are there specific roles within those dynamics? Are there like archetypes, let's say, for the, I guess, power play that people do? Um, if you could call it power play. Sure. Um, I think there's there's a lot of archetypes within BDSM and uh, within power play specifically. Um, some that come to mind, for instance, within power play might be um, the brat and brat tamer. So a brat is a submissive who enjoys pushing back against their dominant. They they enjoy kind of being, yeah, uh, mouthing off, being kind of cheeky, uh, maybe, you know, intentionally doing things that are not allowed to in order to rile their dominant up and maybe get a certain desired response from them. Uh, and a brat tamer is a dominant who enjoys that kind of defiance in their submissives and... Um, who kind of enjoys maybe taking that defiance and and maybe breaking it a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, t- taming the brat. Um, you know, um, there's kind of the daddy-mommy-dom dynamic where personally I always kind of associate this with a kind of more nurturing, caring, slightly maybe softer form of domination. Um, However, I I know that there are definitely also um, some uh, daddy and mommy doms who are a little bit more of the tough love variety, a little bit more, um, yeah. Question. Yeah. So (laughs) um, you say mommy 
and dirty. So would that mean um, role-playing those kind of figures? Yeah, I think that that would be a good way to put it. It it denotes kind of a... Yeah, I mean, we were talking about archetypes and I think also here archetype is a good word where, you know, it's not necessarily literally uh, a mother, um, but kind of stepping in that cultural archetype of a motherly figure but then within within the kind of you know adjusted reality of bdsm which can include a lot of things that can include <laughs> a lot of spicy fun yeah things. Yes. i think that makes it um a bit harder for people like when we're having this conversation i'm like yeah let's let let's talk about it i think like that is a part of it but then it might be a bit hard to wrap your hand around it. Like mm-hmm. how, how, why, <laughs> sure. why, or I guess what exactly happens in that dynamic and also why. I think there was a perfect introduction to go to my next <laughs> question, which would be like, why, uh, why are people into that? kind of stuff like what what draws them to those kind of like archetypes or role-playing or the power exchange because like when you mentioned before total power exchange and like at some point saying like what you can wear what you can eat like that can get like very restrictive for someone for example if someone tells you you're gonna eat apples every day for example even if it's just apples if it's for seven days Mm -hmm. it can get very repetitive and it's like you choose to do that though yeah so like what is the the incentive for both sides hey everyone this is Michaela. We couldn't finish our whole conversation in just 30-35 minutes, so we have a second part coming up. And the second part we're going to be talking about what the points of attraction are towards archetypes and roleplay and power exchange. So stay tuned!